I moved to China, I was sort of shocked. I like the word deliciousness. Deliciousness. When you start a business, it literally will be your life. <laughs> you know, in the morning, all the way until when you go to sleep, it's all I think about and it's all I do. And if that's not something you're passionate about, I just feel like it's never going to be a success. You have to just make that leap. You know, how am I going to do this and this and this and this and this? Get out there. You'll really start to see that it is quite easy. I'm Darian. I'm Elena, and this is our podcast, Step Into Success. Where we give you an inside look at how people are currently creating success in their respective fields. Our mission is to bring you into the trenches for an inside view and hopefully give some inspiration and knowledge as you work towards success in your own way. Hey, welcome to another episode of Step Into Success. Today's guest comes all the way from England, one of my good friends, Thomas Palmer. And I'm not going to get too much into the introduction. I'm going to let him introduce himself. He has a business called Yep Kitchen. And uh, Tom, can you just tell us who you are, what you do, and what is Yep Kitchen? Yeah, thanks, Darian. It's firstly, it's great to be on your podcast. Thanks so much for inviting me. Um, yeah, my name is Tom. Thomas, both fine. Um, recently founded a food company called Yep Kitchen, which is basically a celebration of my time in China. We're now creating a bunch of really tasty chili oils and ferments for the UK market. Awesome. That is that is really cool. So you mentioned your time in China. Can you can you tell us a little bit? So you're from England, but you you spent some time in China. Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit and tell us like how that started? What what did you do over there? Yeah, so I'm I'm from Hampshire, which is sort of about an hour and a half west of London. Um, and then in 2013, when I was 21, many moons ago, um, I moved to China to teach English for, for a year. Um, and then one year turned into 10. And now 10 years later, I'm living in London, in the UK, and have a Chinese food business. So it's quite like a nice sort of full circle. Um, but the time in China was very life-changing for me, for sure. I think it's like, one of the things I would say to anyone who is asking for like any sort of life advice or my kids, if I ever have any, would be to spend at least a year living in a foreign country because it just opens you up to so many things that you just can't access if you spend all of your life in the country that you grow up in. So massive advocate traveling and experiencing like other cultures because yeah, it just really sort of opens you up to appreciate different things and look at life perhaps a little bit differently um yeah and i feel like coming back to the uk this time i feel like a completely different person than the person who left the uk 10 years ago so so tom this is a little bit off script it's not necessarily about yep kitchen like we you know like we were talking about but as far as travel goes how are things there in the uk with like and what i mean is here in america it seems like there's a lot of people who are maybe on the fence about traveling they're worried about kind of everything that's going on in the world you said you're a huge travel advocate i feel like i am as well what would you say to anyone who is maybe on the fence and wondering if they should do that year abroad or take some trips somewhere like what would you what would you say to those people that are you know concerned i mean i think if you perhaps if you have concerns then you can use that as a factor to decide where you go because you know there are loads of countries that you can travel to to get that experience and just sort of push yourself out that are incredibly safe environments um that you know shouldn't give you any worries and then perhaps after you've done it you get the idea of okay that wasn't too hard that wasn't too tricky and then you can start to sort of dive into the more um i don't even know the word you describe them but the sort of more categorized as less as dangerous as dangerous places right the more um, remote more places yeah i mean and places perhaps where language is an issue because that's also a big barrier for people when you travel is you know how will you communicate so 
I think, you know, go to an English speaking country first, if you're also an English speaker or, you know, spend a bit of time learning the language before you go. Um, but I think it's really just that you have to just make that leap. I'm personally, um, I love doing that anyway. I like taking risks and sort of jumping into the unknown. So I don't have a difficulty with it, but I get where people come from, where it's tough to sort of make the jump, but perhaps find a travel buddy as well. Someone that can sort of back you up and you can go together and sort of, you know, enjoy the, enjoy the trip as a duo. Yeah. Good deal. Very cool. So your time in China inspired you to start Yep Kitchen. Um, is there something like you had a favorite meal or something that you really enjoyed there all the time? Or like what what made that connection from your time in China to now coming back to England and you started this this food business? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think Darian can agree with me as well that food in China is very different to the food that you get outside of China. Um, so I grew up eating Chinese food, but when I moved to China, I was sort of shocked at how different it was, um, how many different ingredients there were and flavors and recipes that I'd never heard of before. So I think as soon as I got there, it was just this mad experience of sort of senses and just trying out all these different things. And I just loved all of them. I mean, mostly the spicy food which is from the southwest um and i found myself just you know eating that breakfast lunch dinner really for years so it was then when i was making trips back to the uk during the time living there that i was like missing food from home and i'd sort of big it up in my head and then when i'd get back and i'd order it i'd be a bit disappointed <laughs> like it's not as good as chinese food so I think it was at that point where I realized that actually this is like, this is my food. This is the food that I want to spend my life eating. Um, so then I noticed there was a bit of a gap in the market in the UK in terms of Chinese products. There's quite a lot of options now for Chinese restaurants and you have the sort of like regional aspects, um, in London anyway, you can go for hot pot or you can go for a Sichuan meal, or you can go for, you know, typical Beijing meal. Um, that wasn't a thing 10 years ago, but still the products are very limited. You don't really have much choice. So that's that was the sort of idea of how I can bring over perhaps some of my experience and some of the things that I love from Chinese food to the UK. Very cool. So you're kind of trying to help um, residents within the UK be able to bring that into their own kitchens is that my understanding like there's options if they want to go out to eat but bringing it in their own home yeah yeah absolutely we're focusing on the like at home cooking sector so creating products that you can purchase in you know a local shop deli um, and then use it at home to sort of experiment have fun with because I feel like that's the part of Chinese food that is not very well represented and often it's really sugary or very sweet i mean when we go to the supermarket you can buy these sort of they're like stir fry kits and you can pick like a sauce the vegetable section and then a piece of protein and all of the sauces are like sweet chili or like sweet and sour like sweet plum and everything is just really really sugary really sweet but that's not really the case in in china so yeah that was my sort of thought process was why is nobody making the spicier, like umami flavors that are very typical of Chinese food? Mm. Do you think that has to do with like a difference between Eastern and Western palates and just kind of what we're used to? And how are you helping to bridge that gap, I guess, with your products? Like, do you offer recipes for people to be able to get kind of get in there and, you know, try things out, something that's maybe outside their comfort zone when it comes to cooking with these different flavors? Yeah, I think like on firstly the first part that you said, I think now a lot of um, the products that we have are very perhaps outdated. Um, they're not necessarily wrong or bad because at one point they were a good representation of Chinese food for people living in the UK because that's what they had experienced. But now travel is more common and you know the globe is more connected. People have a better idea and understanding of what 
actual local food tastes like in the regions where it's from. And, you know, they go on holiday somewhere, they try the food, they love it. And then when they come home, they can't access it. So I think products, especially in the UK now, a lot of these regional products are becoming more and more popular and there's becoming a demand for them because people want to try and taste the authentic flavors. And I think that's why there's a room for, you know, increased variety in a section where perhaps chili oil before you maybe had one option that's chili oil you buy that one or you don't buy chili oil but now you know you have 10 or 15 or 20 different options you can pick on which region you want the chili oil from or which chilies it's made from or the heat intensity things like that so i think that's sort of why um yeah why we're trying to focus on really regional areas because there's increased interest in them very neat i guess yeah, I, I didn't really know that, uh, how much of a difference is between the different regions. Um, at least in America, I feel like it's it's kind of similar. Yeah. We go to the store and you see, you know, you the some orange chicken or some, 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 you know, you have some orange chicken, some sweet and sour chicken, some yeah. teriyaki chicken. Those are the ones that I grew up with too, you know? Like, yeah, I remember going to China and looking for the dishes that I was familiar with. So I'd be in a restaurant like, Give me some prawn toast. I'll have the crispy seaweed chicken balls. <laughs> and like, yeah, we don't have any of those. Yes, wow. so it was literally. It was um, the one thing I was disappointed by was prawn toast because that is still one of my favorite Chinese dishes. Even though it's like, it's not that typical. It's probably more typical in like Hong Kong, um, but I mean, certainly not in Beijing. You don't find prawn toast very, very, very rarely. Hey, but now though, in England, people can get the prawn toast and just put your sauce on top of it. And then boom, they got best of both worlds, man. I mean, that <laughs> is bridging, that is the bridging of the gap that you're doing. Man, we actually live above a Chinese Vietnamese restaurant. And um, I'll tell you now that has happened many of times in my house. <laughs> nice. Prawn toast hey, um... and yep, chili oil on top. It's, yeah. um, it's a win. So, so Tom, did you always want to own your own business? Did you always want to be an entrepreneur and start your own, your own company? Or did it happen simply because you saw that opportunity in the market? No, I definitely say that I've always wanted to, um, my mom, my dad and my sister all own businesses as well. So I was sort of the one who, who didn't, and that didn't, you know, force me into doing it. It just you know, gave me the, the inspiration that is possible when you have family members doing it as well. But, um, yeah, no, definitely always wanted to, and had a few failed attempts beforehand, um, before this one, um, perhaps not failed, maybe not the right word, but business didn't come into fruition. Yeah. And just, you know, a friend of mine, um, we had an idea for an education company when we were living in China, it was based around like teacher training because we'd both been teacher trainers for quite a long time wanted to offer like um schools that didn't have an in-house training team the option to recruit us to come in and train their teachers basically but yeah we i mean we started it we had a name we had a logo and then i think actually my friend's wife became pregnant and we just sort of didn't follow through with it um so i wouldn't say it's a failure it just didn't sort of come to fruition um so yeah definitely always wanted to yeah. And, you know, I think that's, you know, good for especially, I mean, even for myself and people in the audience listening, like just because you start a business that doesn't end up maybe working out the way that when you started it, you envisioned, it doesn't mean it's like a failure in any way. It's, it's learning. I'm sure you picked up some valuable things from there that is now helping you be so successful with, with Yup Kitchen. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. And I think the, you know, perhaps, especially for me, like as much as I loved education and I still do it wasn't ever like um it was never like i knew it's never going to be my long-term sort of career um and i still actually i still teach now i still do some private tutoring on the side but it's definitely like this business now i'm incredibly passionate about and like hyper focused on it and i wasn't on the previous one so i think that's probably why it didn't come to fruition because it just wasn't the right one, you know, and you try something and then, you know, okay, this is perhaps it. And 
try again, try again, and eventually you'll you'll hit one that's just like, God, this is this is great. I'm absolutely loving this, and it becomes sort of effortless because you enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, that's interesting. So you kind of mentioned like maybe there's a little bit more passion behind this one than some of the other endeavors that you've tried because I know in the sort of entrepreneurial field there's there's kind of two different camps there's people that are like no just do your market research and you know find what's going to work and then there's other people that are like if you aren't doing something you love you're going to hate it so what's your take on starting a business and it's sort of that balancing of like market opportunity and passion for what you're doing yeah that's a really good question i think for me like it really was a case of starting this business because I wanted to and you know I didn't perhaps look massively into how big or how small or the size of the opportunity was at the beginning I simply started it because I really wanted to start it and I felt like you know this was an opportunity for me to show something that I'm proud of build something and let's see in four five six months time how it's doing and you know if there's a need for this product because especially in my case going from china to the uk it was it was difficult to do any like real market research from china because you're sort of limited to what you find on google and sometimes that's not always as accurate as the situation may be because you have you know google ads involved in certain like seo things that are going to make you see certain things and it's quite difficult to actually find what you're looking for on Google sometimes. So um, yeah. yeah, I would say also consider the fact that when you start a business, it literally will be your life for, right. you know, in the morning all the way until when you go to sleep, it's all I think about and it's all I do. And if that's not something you're passionate about, I just feel like it's never going to be a success because it's your, it's your living and breathing, you know, being an entrepreneur and starting a business because you do everything. You know, when I'm going to sleep, I'm thinking about like ideas, what I'm going to do tomorrow. And, you know, if that's something that you're not incredibly passionate about, I just don't see how it's going to be a success. Yeah. So Tom, right then you, you were talking about, you know, starting this business and um, it's your passion and you just wanted to try it for five or six months and see, you know, what happened if there's room for it in the marketplace. Let me, let me ask you this. So getting into the actual business itself now, like how did you start it? Like, so I get it. You were in China and we know your background there a little bit. You came to the UK, realized that there wasn't the same type of food. What was it? So how did you start doing it? Did you just bring a bunch of like sauce with you and give it out to people and see if they liked it or like what what happened how did you first step i guess yeah the first steps i think like very very first step was actually making the changes in my life that enabled me to start like starting the business itself is really easy actually but the difficult part was you know the block in like making that jump and i was feeling it for quite a long time that I wasn't fully like fulfilled in my job and I kind of wanted to leave China, but I didn't and didn't want to just leave it all behind. So it was taking that jump to just like, right, let's just do it. Let's just quit my job. Let's just go back home and let's start this business. And then once I got back, it was sort of really easy and I had no, nothing stopping me from doing it. I had no distractions. So the very, very first thing I did was work on the logo, um, which was really fun because I like design bits. Um, and then I started making the chili or here with the chilies available in the UK. I brought back some with me, but not a lot. And they ran out quite quickly. And then I was unable to make the same quality product with the chilies available in the UK. So that's when I realized I'm going to have to use the chilies from Chengdu. So then I started to find suppliers for these chilies. Um, got them sent to the UK as like a sample. Then we made some like mini ones. We put out like an Insta ad and we just sent a bunch of chili old random people and um, got some feedback. And then it was just sort of like the ball was rolling. And then, you know, I ordered 2000 jars. I was like, well, 2000 jars on the way now. So better find something to fill them with. And it was a case of like, 
put yourself, you know, like make the financial commitments that, okay, this has started now. And then, yeah, just everything just started happening. And I just sort of, okay, well, the jars are coming now. So I'm going to need something to put jars in. Okay, let's get a box. And then we got a box made and then we had the box. And then we were like, well, we want some artwork in the box. So let's design the artwork. And it all just started, the ball's rolling and everything just sort of starts moving. Very cool. So once you kind of had some skin in the game and we were like fully committed, it just sort of all started happening almost like organically. Did you face any challenges in the beginning that you had to overcome? A hundred million percent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Um, it was quite funny actually, because I thought like I'm in control of this. I was like, this is all down to me. So if I put in 110%, it's going to be perfect. What could go wrong? Um, but you know, even if you, you do do put in, you know, every ounce of effort that you've got, things are still going to go wrong. And, you know, I think definitely now I realize, and still today things have, things go wrong all the time, like literally all the time. It's a problem solving game really. Um, and the sooner you sort of realize that, I think the better, because you're going to be faced with difficulties all the time. Um, one in particular was the jars that I just mentioned to you because I was getting the spices from China. I just thought, let's get everything from China because, you know, it's pretty common knowledge that there's, you know, cheaper products in China. So we got our glass jars from there, our packaging from there, spices, um, and that seemed like a smart move, <laughs> but obviously didn't consider sort of lead times. You know, you're not just relying on the factory making the jars. They need to then send them to the forwarding agent who then needs to put them on the ship. Cause then going to go through various regions around like global shipping routes. And there's so many factors that could go wrong. And you don't really think about that at the beginning. Um, and then basically I was waiting about three months for these jars to arrive. Oh, wow. Finally got here and I was so pumped. I like, I even borrowed my brother-in-law's car to drive to the port, which is about two hours away from London to pick them up myself because wow. I've been waiting for them for so long. I was like, nothing else can go wrong. So I'm going to pick them up from the port myself. <laughs> and then, um, when they got to the border, I got a call from boarding the border agency or whatever um and they were like oh what's your iori number so we can clear the package i was like hmm? what? <laughs> <laughs> who <laughs> who's iori and <laughs> then um i ended up having to get the iori number but it was going to take about five days so then i had to pay storage at the pool for five days and it cost me loads more money and then finally got the jars we opened one box took like a picture, posted it on Instagram to be like, chili oil's coming tomorrow, guys. The jars are finally here. And then when I actually closer inspected the jars, when I got back to my kitchen, most of the labels were stuck on upside down. Some of them were peeling off. Some of them were stuck to the box. So when you pull the jar out, it just like ripped the label off. Um, How did you feel when you, when, when that happened? Like what was going through your mind right there? Yeah, it was really tough. You know, it actually was really, really, really tough because I'd got so excited for months about like this moment and we'd been building so much, all the hype and it was all public as well that we were showing everyone like five days to go, three days to go. And then the day it was supposed to launch, all the jars were messed up. And yeah, it was really tough, man. I was really, really quite upset about it actually because it was the first time there was a really big mess up. Um yeah, so it was really tough, man. But looking back now, that's because I wasn't expecting it. I was like, nothing can go wrong. It's ordered the jars. Jars arrive. We put stuff in. We go. Um, so, yeah, that's a funny story now that I can tell that it was, um, yeah, it was definitely a moment to remember. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. So tip for other people going into this, anticipate some hiccups along the way just from the start. And just be prepared for that. They absolutely will come, like guaranteed. So you have to just be prepared for them because then when they arrive, 
you you're ready to handle it you know because it's it's a guarantee 100 percent. you will have hiccups bumps issues whatever you want to call them so do you have everything sorted out with the jars now i mean are you now when you order are you still getting as many problems or are you not getting from china anymore yeah we um so absolutely we looked at ways to sort of streamline the supply chain um just make things more efficient also wanted to be more you know conscious of the environment and we realized that actually you know there are a bunch of supply of the manufacturers in europe that can be equally as cheap as china um because at the beginning you know i think you really need to think you know cost consciously um you know when you're starting a very very small business you know um survival is is paramount and i think finding the most cost effective suppliers is one factor of that and then when you start to grow you can start to think more about your you know environmental factors because you know in the grand scheme of things somebody making 100 jars of chili oil at home isn't going to massively impact the environment but if you're making 10,000 jars of chili oil out of a factory it is so then you need to start thinking about your environmental impact um yeah so we now like we don't the only thing we get from china now is our spices because that's the only thing we need to get from china um everything else is done as locally as possible um we get all of our fresh produce from various suppliers in the uk or in europe um as with our jars we get them from a uk distributor so i can basically order jars never with me in two days um, oh that's oh, much better than helps. three months <laughs> yeah sure. it's like yeah. crazily enough it's cheaper which is which is nuts so once you you know the jar itself is cheaper in china but once you add the duty tax vat all the shipping costs your landed cost is so much higher than probably your local producer and you get it in a fraction of the time. And hopefully with like less hiccups and easier to remedy the situation. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, it's if when hiccups come, when you're handling, you know, with time zones and manufacturers that are miles away from you that have never, you know, seen you probably never even heard your voice it's probably all just done through emails and it just makes it so much more challenging hey tom one thing i wanted to um ask you you know because i'm sure a lot of people listening are you know thinking about a business that involves importing uh, importing products and i hear you throwing out a lot of words like iori vat all of these supply chain and and tax related terms so for us to have a better understanding, like how difficult was it to learn the supply chain side of the business? Like you've got the creative digit, uh, like the creative side down, you know, the product, what you want, how difficult was it learning the supply chain and the importing and all of that? And what advice would you have for anybody else who might have to navigate that themselves? Yeah, I think, um, supply chain is definitely one area that if you're not working in that industry there's really no need for you to know about it um and that was the same case for me when i started this business i had absolutely no clue about supply chain related matters um which is why i made mistakes at the start and i think identifying your weaknesses at the beginning and working on how you can improve them is key and for me supply chain i had no idea i jumped into it by myself I made mistakes. I ended up spending more money, wasting time and st- adding stress. So what I've done now is pay for professionals who work in supply chain to handle those imports for me. Um, ultimately it saved me money. It saved me a lot of, a lot of stress and it saved me time. And then it gives me a chance to actually learn, um, about these things with a professional by my side so we have a forwarding agent now who handles all of the imports coming in from china and since working with them i've been able to learn a lot about how to do these things on my own we still chose not to we still just use them because they're more efficient in handling the situation so i think definitely advice wise if supply chain isn't your expertise then that's one of the areas where just spending that little bit of money, even though you're trying to save money initially, 
in the long run, you're probably going to waste money because you'll make mistakes because you don't know how to do it properly. So, you know, choosing where you invest your money um, is a very, is a very um, wise move, I think. So can we um, just touch base on your marketing strategy, like starting off? that led to you getting those first sales. I know you kind of mentioned that there was it was, you know, very public your countdown to your product launch. Um, can you speak a little bit more about how you started driving sales for your product? Yeah, so I think one factor that I used was what's called a minimum viable product. Um, and basically that is it's a book called Lean The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. Um and in this book, it talks about this minimum viable product, which means taking a product that isn't fully finished to market first, and then using those initial sales to develop the product into the finished one. So we basically, yeah, it's a really interesting model and it's worked very well for us. We were able to get really, really good, accurate feedback from paying customers very early on, which then went into the development of the product. So we did a soft launch in November, 2022, um, which was the one I was telling you about where we were on Instagram, like stuff, I mean, guys get ready, like three, two, one. And then from November to June, 2023, we were using that branding, which was sort of, again, a soft launch branding. It wasn't the finished one. Um, and during that time we did loads of farmers markets which was a really, really good way to get sales and get customers straight away because, you know, in, unless you're spending a lot on Instagram ads or things like that, to generate online sales from the very beginning is really difficult. So I found, you know, I could spend 50 pounds on an Instagram ad that's seen by Instagram is very good at making you think that it's seen and like by so many people, you get like 10,000 impressions maybe like five clicks then maybe one purchase but you could spend 50 pounds on going to your local farmer's market you meet 50 customers face to face they buy your product they come back the following week they tell you about the product they tell you what they liked what they didn't like and that those interactions were so valuable at the beginning um so i really would give anyone the advice to do the same and not spend loads and loads and loads and loads of time developing your product pre-customer launch because then when you launch it and if you've made mistakes you're so far into the development it's going to be really hard to make those changes a because you're really invested in it and b you spent a lot of money on it so get the product out to people earlier before it's finished and use their feedback to develop your product more that's really interesting i Honestly, I've I've not heard that before. So that's that's some really good advice. Um, I think a lot of people probably approach it the other way. So, um, and then like you said, you're invested in time, money, your personal like, you know, your soul is in it. <laughs> so. Yeah, and when we launched in July 2023, our full brand launch, we had a bigger customer base because we'd already been in business for six or seven months. We had paying customers. We had more exposure. So when we did do our full launch with our final branding, you know, the final recipes, everything's locked in. We had more people watching and more people ready to purchase our products. I think it's made a big difference. I really love your branding, speaking of. Um, Absolutely. It's, it's very unique and it's very colorful and just really fun. How did you kind of decide on that? Was there a process of, you know, you mentioned you kind of like doing the design bits and how did you go from, you know, ground zero to your final branding? Yeah. Um, so if we talk about them in two stages, the pre-launch and then the full launch branding. So the pre-launch branding was mostly done by myself, my partner. He's an architect, so has some computer skills that I do not um, have. So was able to help you know make edits and things to the like small details on the labels so yeah first bit was very much in-house let's just get something that we can get out to people and that's like compliant with law and then the full brand launch we chose to go with a creative 
brand agency. Um, no, not even an agency, just a creative brand, actually. They're called Plastered 8. Um, and they were very, very um, special brand, I guess, because I was a massive fan of them for 10 years living in China. And, you know, since day one, I've been buying their T-shirts and gifting their products to people. They basically create just this really incredible Chinese artwork that's it is quite traditional, but it's also very playful and very fun and very modern at the same time. Um, so I reached out to the founder of that company to ask him, um, you know, if he was interested in, you know, creating the the brand for us. Um, so then myself, the founder and the artist, the three of us worked, worked together for a couple of months in the background, designing the, the current branding that you see for Yep Kitchen. Um, yeah, so chose to that was the biggest spend we've we'd made but i felt like it was the right way and the right thing to do because we are trying to sort of showcase china in a really authentic and fun way because that's the experience i had in china it was super super fun super authentic and i loved it and now i wanted to showcase that with our products so i wouldn't have the skill sets to do that and as I mentioned previously, you know, identify your weaknesses and spend and invest in those areas. And that's what we decided to do. And it's been a huge success. And we have, you know, so much positive feedback from the branding and the artwork. And, you know, I think that's testament to the artist and their knowledge of, you know, China and Chinese culture, because now, you know, our product looks authentic and I wouldn't have been able to achieve that on my own. So yeah, it was definitely a combination of skills. That's really interesting. Um, just kind of how many times you've mentioned identifying your weakness and then almost filling in those gaps with a supportive team. So did you start this just kind of you or maybe you and one other person and how has your team or at least people that you have drawn in for support at different times, how has that grown since the inception of your business yeah so launch was definitely just me mostly on my own um, with my partner helping um at that point he was also in like job hunt because we both just left our jobs and moved to the uk so he had more time so we were working on it together at the beginning and it was you know it was quite a fun thing to do with the two of us but then once he started working full-time it was down to just me again um and then yeah we had quite like a cool new kitchen business that are becoming quite popular in in london especially they're like we work but for food businesses i don't know if you have them in the states um i'm sure you probably do because you guys are usually three, three or four years ahead of us <laughs> what is the business you're talking about so it's like a, a concept that helps food businesses get kitchen space so it's like you have access to commercial kitchens, um, but you just pay like a membership. And then it's like a big WeWork, but with a commercial production kitchen that everyone has access to. Got it. Okay. So when I moved there, I all of a sudden was surrounded by loads of other solo founders who have various skill sets, you know, different to mine. And the environment was super helpful because, you know, you're able to ask for help and, speak to other people who you know have perhaps been in business longer than you or have had the same failures as you and they can you know help guide you so that was definitely um one aspect i think that was the first bit of support was actually just joining a community and then having you don't need to hire people or pay people you just join a community of other business owners and you get a wealth of knowledge to share with each other and that's for free so I think that was my first step. Um, and then after that, we moved into um, production, basically. So we hired people to help um, produce the product because that was what was taking up most of the time. So we've had a couple of employees, um, kitchen-based employees. Um, it's basically still been just me working in the background on things. Um, I also still work in the kitchen as well. But as of... March, we will be hiring, um, we'll be looking to hire marketing people, we'll be looking to hire operations managers or various other roles 
Um, so yeah, exciting. It's coming up. So March should be uh, a big turning point for us. That is very exciting. You know, I'm not sure uh, how much you guys watch Shark Tank, but oh man, love it. Yeah, yeah so I watch Dragon Stead, the English version, but okay, still, same concept. Gotcha. Um, well, I noticed one of the main like so on Shark Tank. I feel like food industry products tend to be some of the ones that get shot down the most because all the sharks talk about how difficult it is to get that into the market and to, to be successful. You, on the other hand, have taken something in a, you know, in the, in the food market and you have boomed very quickly. You're already talking about hiring operations managers, marketing teams, having uh, conversations with, you know, bringing your product to the U S how have you, what do you think has contributed to that success outside of just the deliciousness of the product itself? And what would you say for anyone who is maybe also trying to get into, you know, a food um, product as well? Yeah, I think um, I like the word deliciousness, by the way. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So I think definitely, you know, deliciousness is an important factor of any food product. Um, unless it's, you know, a food product that perhaps is, you know, solving a problem, maybe it's like more health related or something like that, then flavor isn't essential, but my product in particular, it needs to taste good. Um, so that's again, why we had that sort of six month period of product development and recipe development. Um, until we were happy with the finished product, but I think, you know, to be honest, it's a tough one. And I think I've only perhaps been confident to answer confidently um in the probably the last three four months because at the beginning you know when, when it's food it's so subjective and i loved it my my friends loved it my family loved it but you know you never know if friends and family are being completely honest or not and so i think it's difficult to to know if you've got a good product at the beginning so you know i think elements outside of that is when you start to get positive feedback from strangers from retailers um we've had a few mentions in you know magazines and then you start to think okay well damn we've got a pretty good product now um but off 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 um off point a little bit there but yeah so to answer your question i think outside of flavor you need to have a strong story because at the moment in the uk a lot of shoppers and consumers are moving away from buying from like giant corporations and big, big brands. And even the big, big brands are launching more sort of fun artisanal products because a lot of people are more, they're more conscious when they're shopping and they want to shop small and they want to shop from people. Um, you know, I think people buy from people, right? So if you have, strong story behind your product it's going to help sell uh, i think we have a strong story and our brand comes across authentically and what we're trying to do is authentic and we want you know to share something that we're passionate about with other people and i think that's helped um and now we have the sort of data to show that that's helped so yeah so how did it feel for you getting that first sale like what did that feel like for you seeing like okay the proof is here it's not just my friends and family maybe you know lifting me up a little bit how did that how did that first sale or couple sales feel for you yeah amazing yeah like just so motivating and so fulfilling I think again in the farmer's markets like you're having you sell a product to people you give them a sample and then you give them like a pitch and you talk about your story and they love it and then they buy your product and they come back next week i mean actually this, so i did my we still do a farmer's market every sunday i was there today and i was serving two customers who had never been to my stand before um and then a lady came up who had bought three jars the previous week she came up and she was like thank you for making the best product I've ever had. And she was oh, just wow. 
It was so, and even now, still, you know, like 14 months into this business, those moments are the ones that just make you feel so good because, you know, you've created something that somebody really enjoyed and they've told their friends about it and then they've come back to your stand to tell you how much they love it. And yeah, those moments are just, they just make everything. All the, you know, sleepless nights and all the hour long, like hours and hours and hours stood at the friars making chili oil just makes it worth it when people people tell you those things yeah absolutely and now you have gone from making those first couple of sales to a couple of your flavors have actually won a pretty prestigious award there in the uk am i am i right about that can you tell us you know briefly like what what that award was how you won that um you know what is the criteria and, and tell us about that real quick yeah that was mad so there is it's actually it's international now so it's a company called the guild of five food and they do an annual great taste award so in the uk it's really really big deal it's like if you see the great taste like stamp on a product you like damn this this must be good and you, it makes you buy it so we entered our products we entered two of them actually the citron chili crisp and the garlic chili oil with beef um and we launched a business in november and the entries in january so it was straight after and then the results don't come out to August each year because they have 2023, they had 14 and a half thousand products entered. Wow. Yeah. It's insane. Like it's, I think they had entries from 140 countries as well last year. So like it's, it's completely nuts. And basically they put everything into a category. And then during that period from January to June, you'll get a call up that it's your categories time. So you send your products in and then they're, sent around a room blind so you have you can't use your packaging it has to be in like a neutral jar and then you get 150 character description to write and 150 letters goes quick so when you're trying to like in 150 letters you have to talk about your brand product the ingredients the processes like it's super hard so then they get to read this thing and then they taste your product and the room have to be unanimous in their decision. Otherwise, you don't get your reward. Um, and we got two stars on both of our entries, which is um, the second highest tier. But in terms of chili oil, there were only seven winners of two star in 2023. And we had two of them, which was nuts. Wow. Wow. That is. I bet that felt really, incredible. really great as like especially being you know a relatively new business to then have that type of feedback yeah it was insane i actually was i'm pretty sure i did a few laps of the house just like screaming (laughs) do you remember what the 150 characters were uh i probably still have it on my notes man um yeah i think it was something like a a sichuan or like a super savory and umami sichuan chili crisp made with premium sichuan peppercorn powder and Arjing Tao chilies imported from Chengdu, handcrafted in London. So it was good. It was a good paragraph, but that that is good. Um, also, real quick, one, one thing to touch on, just for anybody in the audience that may not be aware, you've mentioned Chengdu several times. That is, to be correct, the region where your peppers come from, which is, is that right? Yeah, it's the capital city of Sichuan province, which is in the southwest of China. So sort of at the foot of the like Himalayan mountains, China side. Um, yeah, it's a massive city and home to Sichuan peppercorns and pandas. But um, I'm more interested in the peppercorns. So yeah, we, we're, the products that we have are inspired by that region of China. Just being that like you started this journey and admittedly you said, you know, there were definitely things that you kind of, didn't know from the beginning and now being where you are where your products have won awards you've got a really solid brand what advice do you have for people that are maybe starting from ground zero they want to have a business but aren't really sure maybe the trajectory do you have any advice kind of like steps that they should be taking or things that they should maybe learn before jumping in yeah i would say you know definitely try not to think of like a giant list of tasks because I think when you do that's when you're just going to put it off because 
it seems unachievable when, you know, how am I going to do this and this and this and this and this and this? Just start really small and start, you know, just something simple, something that you enjoy. If you love design parts, why don't you start working on the logo? If you, you know, if you like cooking and if it's food, get the product developed and, you know, get, get some feedback, get it out there. And I think I, I mentioned before, the ball just really starts rolling and, if it's something that you're passionate about, once you start, you won't be able to stop. And yeah, so just make that step and sell a couple, you know, just get out there. Even if you're just, you know, sell it, just go on the street and just give stuff out. If you want to just sell stuff and get your face around and you'll really start to see that it is quite easy. Um, you just need to take that first tiny step and then the steps just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and you're already on your way awesome also tom this has been amazing i mean this has been an amazing conversation i know that i've personally learned a lot um throughout this and i hope i hope that the audience has um taken away a lot too because you've given some really great advice um before we get out of here just want to you know ask you uh could you tell us, could you tell everyone in the audience, you know, where do we find your product? Where do we find you on social media? How can we go about purchasing your product and, and, and giving the, the Sichuan chili oils a, a try for ourselves? Yeah, man, of course. Um, well, like, as you said as well, it's been, it's been a really enjoyable conversation. I hope, you know, there's been some valuable points that people can find useful and I wish anyone who's listening to this the best of luck in their ventures as well, I think. You know, starting your own business is is a huge accomplishment in itself. So, give yourselves a massive, massive well done if you've even <laughs> started because that's amazing. Um, and so, yeah, our brand. Sorry, forgot about that. We, um, Yep Kitchen is the brand name. Yep is our sort of our short name. So you could just go ahead, type in Yep Chili Oil, something like that on. Google and you'll find us and we sell our products online. We're now stocked in about 65 stores around the UK. Um, we have a couple of big listings in Selfridges um, and Panzer's Deli. And we are in talks with a US distributor as well. Very, very, very early stage. Yes. Um, awesome. But hopefully um, we can think about getting our products um the u.s as well and we can give fly by jing a run for that money <laughs> there you go exactly tom again just seriously want to thank you a lot for being here really appreciate the conversation and your time and we'll let you uh we'll let you get back to uh to whipping up some chili oil man yeah well my partner has made some tacos and i'm buzzing so oh it... there you go do you put the yeah, chili sauce gonna... on the tacos Every time, man. Every time. Get out of here. <laughs> That's how you know it's good, then. All right. Yeah. Going cross, going cross cuisine there. So, all right, Tom. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks so much, both of you. Yes, thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.